0: All right, thank you, Ed, for that. I appreciate it. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good. All right. Glad to be back with you uh, this morning. And uh, I, I, have, I have a little confession, okay? So uh, a couple months ago, I filled in for Pastor. He was away. And uh, uh, I had mentioned something from the pulpit during that message. It's kind of off the cuff. I was, you know, how I have ADD, right? And uh, so I mentioned that uh, there was a passage in the Scripture that has uh, uh, kind of been misunderstood over the years, uh, Proverbs 31. And I said, it's, uh, Proverbs 31 usually is taught to women about how to be the ideal woman. And I said, it actually was written to a man about how to prepare him for leadership. And when I said that, I heard a gasp in the audience. And, and so my little antenna went up and I went, okay, I got to remember that. Remember that little gasp, all right? And uh, so I called pastor right afterwards and I said, hey, any chance I can come and preach on Proverbs 31? So I kind of elbowed my way back in here. I just want to let you know that, All right. And uh, Pastor said, absolutely. He said, I'm gone on July 10th, and if you could fill in for me, that would be great. And so this morning, surprise, surprise, we're going to do Proverbs 31. Uh, and so if you've got your Bible, turn there. Uh, before we jump into the message this morning, I want to just uh, kind of uh, begin with a word of prayer. And, uh, and after that, we'll set up where we're going to go with the Word of God this morning. Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is uh, to fill this pulpit. We pray for Pastor and Rachel is there on the road that you keep them safe on their journey, but that it would be a refreshing uh, time with family. I think Pastor is going to a reunion, uh, and that means extended family and lots of people you haven't seen for a while. And, and uh, Lord, I look forward to those times. I think a big family is, my family's big, and it's just neat to get everybody together uh, on occasion and, and get caught up. And so those are really important times. I thank you, Lord, for the trust that he's given uh, to me and the staff here to fill in in his absence. And I pray, Lord, that you now would speak through your servant behind the microphone today, uh, Lord, that we might uh, be a blessing to you and that your words might go forward. And We pray all these things now in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to give credit where credit is due this morning, and uh, I first heard Proverbs 31 preached in its entirety about 25 years ago. Uh, When I was in seminary, I was just starting classes there, and uh, Dr. Chuck McLean, Uh, Is a really a terrifically intelligent man. He's a great teacher, uh, and he's an Old Testament scholar. And uh, we uh, were—I don't want to say forced, but required—to go to chapel uh, at seminary. Uh, Sometimes it felt forced, uh, but it was required. And I got to be honest with you: most of the chapel messages were not very memorable. Uh, Many times it was somebody from outside that was coming in to talk on a topic. And I don't remember a lot of the topics they talked on. A lot of times, it was seminary students giving their very first sermon. Okay, so and I was one of those guys at, at some point giving my very first sermon. I heard a lot of L O R D sermons. All right, Lord, and we, and so it, it, it's kind of a struggle to to work through some of those. The one and most memorable chapel service I ever sat through was the one that Dr. McLean gave, and he uh, stood in front of mostly men there. And he said, "Let's open in your Bibles to Proverbs 31." And when he did that, and when I say that to you now today, uh, the typical wisdom is that the men sit back and go, "Oh, this is going to be great, right?" And they kind of elbow their wives and they go, "You need to pay attention to what this guy's going to tell you next, right?" And the ladies all tense up. I can see your shoulders right now doing this, right? Right? They tense up and they go because he's going to come back with this. What does the ideal woman look like? Sermon. And what Dr. McLean shared that day just absolutely blew me away. I had never heard it before, and I've really rarely heard it since. I've preached this message hundreds of times, literally, uh, in workshops, at conferences. Uh, Many of you have heard what I'm going to share with you today because you you caught it here in one of our very venues of either marriage or parenting. Uh, But you only caught the short version. You caught the kind of the -the off-the-cuff, maybe workshop edition. I'm going to treat this as an entire sermon this morning. And in going back and doing the, the homework and the research for this this morning, uh, I was really just delighted in the depth of Proverbs 31 and, uh, and, and walking away from it uh, thinking, wow, this is a challenge to me as a man. So the Proverbs, and let me uh, show you what Proverbs 31 usually looks like. It's usually pink with lots of frilly around it, ladies, for you. There are literally dozens, probably hundreds of Proverbs 31 style ministries around the world in fact many of them are called proverbs 31 ministries and they are exclusively to women if you go and google proverbs 31 ministries they will be entirely 100 percent aimed towards women now is that a bad thing not necessarily but it's just not an accurate thing because the proverbs all right oop let's go back The question that gets asked most of the time in Proverbs 31 is this question. What does the ideal woman look like? And although that's a wonderful question and a great question to have answered. And by the way, if you bring that question to Proverbs 31, you will walk away with an answer. The problem is that's not the question being asked in Proverbs 31. We bring that question to Proverbs 31. It's not the question that Proverbs 31 asks. I call it copy and paste Bible. It's not bad Bible, it's copy and paste Bible. It's, uh, you've heard the sermon so many times, and you've heard somebody uh, talk about Proverbs 31, where they answered that question, that that pastors and commentaries now just copy and paste what they've heard from the last commentary. So virtually every commentary you run into uh, skips verses 1 through 9, and they jump in right at verse 10. Now, I don't Google my Um, sermon stuff. I don't look on the internet for answers. On this one, I did. I just, out of curiosity, I googled Proverbs 31 commentaries. Don't do that right now. When you get some time this afternoon, just put that in your search window. Proverbs 31 commentaries. 100% of the hits that came up, and there was about 3 million, 100% of them started at verse 10 and moved on. They skip the first nine verses of Proverbs 31. We're not going to do that this morning. We're going to look at the very important preamble, the first nine verses, before we get to what does the ideal woman look like, and you're going to understand why in a minute. Okay? And although that is an absolutely great question, it's simply not the question that's being asked in Proverbs 31. The Proverbs, all of the Proverbs, all 31 of them. And one of the wonderful things about Proverbs, this is just a little add-on here. One of the wonderful things about the Proverbs is that there are 31 of them. And about 30 years ago, I was challenged to read a Proverb a day. I can't tell you every single day for the last 30 years I've read a Proverb. There's days I've missed reading my Proverb. But it's easy to do. Why? Because there's 1 through 31. You can just match it up with a calendar. So on the first of the month, guess where I am? Proverbs chapter 1. On the 15th, I'm Proverbs 15. I've read the Proverbs over so many times. I I don't want to say I have them memorized, but I've got a real good idea of what the theme of all the Proverbs are after reading them for so many times. Of course, Proverbs 31, you're only going to come to, what, seven times in the year because there's 31 days in the year. But Proverbs are this. They are didactic wisdom literature. Now, what does didactic wisdom literature mean? Didactic means, literally, uh, teaching, right? Teaching of wisdom. That's what the Proverbs are all about. Literature is... Stuff you write, okay? <laughs> There's my technical answer. So stuff that gets written down is taught to teach wisdom. And it was almost exclusively teaching young men to prepare them for leadership. 22 times in the Proverbs, the proverb starts out with my son or, my, or, or, or to a, a man. It's directed over and over again to young men to prepare them for leadership. Proverbs 31 is no different than all the rest of the Proverbs. In fact, it's probably the icing on the cake. It's the final proverb that was put down to get a young man prepared to take his place of leadership in the world. And one of the things I love about this proverb is it's taught to him by his mother. So it's the, it's the wisdom of a mature woman pouring into the son that she loves, the the final, if you will, thing that she can say to him before he launches into the real world and he takes his place as an adult. And so Proverbs 31 is maternal wisdom for a future king to help him prepare for success in life. And it's been inscripturated for all eternity for us. So let me turn in my Bible. You turn in your Bibles as well to Proverbs chapter 31. find it here. Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord reads like this. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him, What my son, O what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to the, that which destroys kings. It's not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him who is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. We're going to stop right there after verse 9 before we launch into verse 10. The first nine verses in Proverbs chapter 31, are critically important because, as I said just now, it's a mother uh, pouring into her son. And we don't know uh, who Lemuel is exactly. He's not mentioned place else in the scriptures. So we don't have any lineage of, of Lemuel. Uh, a lot of the commentaries believe that this was Solomon and Bathsheba. Uh, Bathsheba now teaching into her and, and it fits because Solomon was a wise king the wisest of kings in fact and it would make sense that since the other proverbs were written by him and, and about him in many ways that Lemuel would be him maybe this was a pet name that she had for her son we just simply don't know uh, the point is it, it fits the category of a, of a typical proverb in that he was a young man maybe a teenager preparing to take the throne or take his place in the world And she pours into him, and the first two verses really share uh, a great deal. There are four imperatives, let me go back to this, four imperatives for success that we're going to learn today. And it starts in verses 1 through 9. The first one, all right, the first one's in verse 1 and 2. It introduces their relationship, and it also does something else. It's complex, verses 1 and 2. It shows their relationship, but it also talks about the world that he's going to step into, So in verse 1, she says it's the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. So Lemuel is recounting this stuff later on in his life. And the first thing he says in verse 2 is, What my son, and what son of my womb, and what son of my vows? The what question being repeated three times is talking about the world that he's about to step into. He's about to step into the task-oriented world of what, what, what. And that's the world that we all live in. What, what, what? Right? You, when you go to work on Monday, the first thing you do when you walk through the doors is, all right, what happened over the weekend? And what's in my inbox? And what do I got to take care of today? And where are we going with this? And, and it's the task-oriented world that just kind of demands our time and our attention and our energy. That's where most of our focus is. Lemuel's mother says to him, Lemuel, you're about to step into that world. At the same time, she's also reminding us of about her relationship with, with this young man, and it's a close relationship. This is, it's, you know, you could make a joke about a Jewish mother kind of guilting her son here. That's not what this is about. But it is kind of a, a, a mother saying to her, you know, there were nights I didn't know if you'd make it to the morning, Lemuel, and I brought you into this world, and I made a vow with you, you know. And She's describing that, that close relationship that she has with him. And he's recounting that fondly and saying, my mom shared something with me that I've never forgotten. And I want to write it down and inscripturate it for all eternity for you to understand. And this is written to men, not women. So gentlemen, I want you to pay particular attention today to Proverbs 31. So the, the, the task-oriented, what 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 world that we all live in and all work in and that I'm going back to tomorrow and that you're going back to tomorrow, that world is there and it's, it's never changed. And What does she say to him? She gives him four imperatives for success in life. The first two are in the negative, the next two are in the positive. And really, quite honestly, this is not hard work, men. This is kind of easy and made simple for us. Why? Because we are men. The last 20 verses of this proverb are directed towards the woman, and the woman is much more multifaceted than the man. Men, we can't spin as many plates as women can. We just can't. God made me that way. I can handle one thing at a time, maybe two, but if you give me three things, I can't do that. When we're at the grocery store and I'm shopping with Megan and she says, hey, go get bread and eggs, I just stop her right there. Because as soon as she says milk, I'm done. I won't find the bread or the milk. I'll have to text her from the other side of the store. What did you say I want to give? Me? I can handle two things, I can't handle three. And please, honey, don't ask me to find anything in the pantry. I can't even handle one thing in the pantry. I'm just awful there, all right? So having said that, uh, it's going to be simpler for men than it is for women. And so here's what he says in the first negative. She says to him, Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways, to that which destroys kings. It will destroy your life, Lemuel. And that first admonition in verse 3 is couched in the negative, but it's something that he's not to do. He's not to be a womanizer. He's not to chase around after women. And there have been those types of women around uh, for a very long time. And Lemuel, as the king, all he's got to do is snap his fingers and he gets whatever he wants in the kingdom. So he's really at risk for this. The modern equivalent of this is the internet. And so, gentlemen... If this was written today, uh, Lemuel's mother probably would have said to him, don't go clicking around on the internet in places you ought not to go. And you know better than that. And it's a, there's a billion-dollar industry out there to try to get men to look. I understand what we're up against. But at the same time, you got to put your hand on that mouse, and you got to go click, and you got to look for it. And with that being said, there, it, this is still around today. It will destroy your life. It will destroy your marriage. If, you, if the, the question we ought to bring to this proverb is, "What does the ideal marriage look like?" That would be a much better question than what does the ideal woman look like? The ideal marriage is a partnership where the man initially is doing his part and part of his job is to make sure he's not womanizing. He's not chasing around after skirts. He's not going places and looking at things that he ought not look at. It's very clear in the scriptures here what those things are. And gentlemen, I don't need to get descriptive with you today. You know what I'm talking about. Give not thy strength unto women, nor the ways that will destroy you. Then in verse 4, It's not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink, uh, wine or princes' strong drink, uh, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that are heavy of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. He spends what four or five verses now. She spends four or five verses talking to Lemuel about addictive behaviors and alcohol in particular. She said, "Don't be a drunk, Lemuel." You could be the king, and you're on the throne, and they won't just depose you. They can't because you're the king, and you're all powerful, and you can snap your finger and get any woman, and you can get all the drink and alcohol you want, and you could settle for that. You could be that king. Lemuel, don't do that. Don't be that guy. It's too easy to be that guy. See, this is work. It takes discipline not to do certain things, especially in a world that is encouraging you to do those things. It's bombarding you with those things. The hedonism of this world is just out of control, and it's available to us at a click. Don't be addictive in behavior. Now, having said that, guys, this is, it's one thing to stand up here and say, don't do that. Okay? You go, well, Steve, it's just not that easy. I understand that. These two things, the first two things are things that you're going to have to reach out and get help with. I grew up in in a family of alcoholics. I understand this. My dad, my stepdad, my uncle, all the men around me in my life all justified their excessive drinking because they could get up and go to work on Monday morning. That was their measuring stick. Well, as long as I can get up to go to work on Monday morning, I'm okay. They weren't okay. There was a wake of destruction behind them in relationships, terrible marriages, lousy family lives. They did not have an ear to talk to anybody about Jesus Christ. Why? Because everybody knew that they were drunks. Lemuel, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. It's too easy to be that guy. It takes some work not to be that guy. But if you're here today and you've been clicking around where you shouldn't and you're the guy in in these last four or five verses, there's help for you here. There's compassion for you here. This church now has a robust counseling ministry, and there are those who want to come alongside and compassionately help you, right? Come alongside and help you be strong in this. But you've got to get some accountability in the picture. If you keep trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you're going to continually fail over and over again. And I know you've told yourself, that's the last time I'm ever going to go back to that and do that. And then a few months later, you go right back to it again. And you feel guilty because of it. And that guilt binds you. It's time to reach out and get some help and get some accountability to help break that chain of dependence. But there are some great benefits coming if you do. There are some really great things. Now in verse 8 and 9, she turns the focus to the positive Away from the negative. In verse 8, Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such that are uh, appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Look at the first two things that she said. She said, don't give your strength to those types of women, and don't open your mouth, going the wrong way for alcohol and those sort of things. Do open your mouth now in this direction and speak on behalf of those who are needy, those who don't have what you have, Lemuel. This is going to be a stretch for Lemuel. Now you think, well, as the king, he can do anything. Well, no, he's kind of limited in what he can do. He's going to live in kind of an ivory tower and be isolated by, yes, people. And he's got to break through that in something that is uncomfortable for him. And, by the way, his future wife. They've got to break through that barrier and be a voice for or listen to the needs of the most needy people in their kingdom. That's not as easily done as it is said. And so for him, this is going to have to be a stretch. So she says, you need to have a ministry. And so gentlemen, I'm going to challenge you today. What is your ministry? Where are you ministering? Not just in the church, but out of the church. By the way, we're going to give you some opportunities before we're done here today. Right, if you say, well, I, I, I don't know where I fit in. Well, you're gonna fit in before we're done here today. So where is your ministry and what does it look like? All right. So now she sets up in the positive, and then finally she gets to verse ten. And when she gets to verse ten, all right, when she gets to verse ten, this is what we've all been waiting for. An excellent wife who can find. Now I love the way the King James gets it because the King James actually got it grammatically correct. It reads like this Who can find a virtuous woman? Other translations, and I put it up that way. Because most other translations say an excellent wife who can find. Now, let's do a little bit of grammar. Okay? It's time to go back to probably 6th or 7th grade. Grammatically speaking, in this sentence, what is the subject of the sentence? Now, I'm not going to let you flounder for too long. All right? The subject of the sentence is who. Who's who here? The who here in this sentence is not the wife. The who is Lemuel. She's still directing her comments towards her son. So who can find a virtuous woman? Lemuel, this is about you. The focus is on you, not the wife. This is where we've gone wrong with Proverbs 31 over the years, because we make the wife the subject. And then we do disservice to women because we lay out a laundry list of what the ideal woman looks like. And we put a burden, I think, on women, unduly, because the burden, if there's any burden here, it ought to be on the man. The man is the one who sets the tempo, creates the environment for this woman to emerge. Lemuel? Lemuel's today? (laughs) A virtuous woman who can find for her price is far above rubies. Now let's take a look at one other word in here, and it's real important. There are three possible meanings for the word find. Now find is an interesting word because it can mean a whole bunch of different things. And in the Hebrew, it can mean three different things. The first thing that it can mean is this, an unintentional discovery of something. So what does that look like? All right, after church, you go out through the double doors, you do a little fellowshipping, you go out to your car, and a $20 bill blows by. And you do what I do, you step on it. You look up, and you're the last person out of church, by the way, today. There's nobody else around, the doors are closed, everything's gone. You look, anyone, anyone? And there's nobody around. Guess what? You're $20 richer. That was an unintentional discovery of something. It just happened to blow by. So one of the ways that we can look at, at Proverbs 31, verse 10 is this. The finding of this woman is she's out there and someday she's going to cross your path and if your eyes are sharp enough, you're going to catch her. That's the gal right there. I see her. That's the one. The other one is this. A known existing goal due to plan or effort. Uh, and that's uh, the best illustration for that is Your house. All right After the church service today, you're going to find your way home. And we might even say it that way. Did you find your way home after the service? Yes. And if you go into your little map application, you put your home address in, it'll probably give you two or three alternatives for routes Home. So you could find your way home any number of ways, but it's a known quantity, it's a known destination, it exists already. You just have to find your way to it. So the second way of thinking about this wife for Lemuel is that she's out there, she exists. Lemuel, you got to get ready, you got to get studied, and you got to go looking for this woman, but you're going to find her because she's there. you just got to find your way to her. That's the second possibility. The third is this. An unintentional, or excuse me, an intentional discovery of a non-existing goal due to planning and effort. How is that different from the other two? It doesn't exist yet. It's, it's a goal, but it's, it's a non-existing goal like a term paper in school. Uh, The first day of class, your teacher might say to you, before the semester's over, you have to write a 10-page paper. That paper doesn't yet exist. You're going to find it. You're going to create it through intentional planning and effort. You're going to do the research to kind of come up with and create that paper. So we have three alternatives for what find could be. One is a chance encounter. You just stumble over this woman, but you know it's her. Number two is she's out there. You just got to work hard to go find her. Right? And number three is an intentional discovery of a non-existing goal. You create this woman kind of from scratch. Now, the answer I get most often when we're in smaller groups and I can ask people, which one do you think it is, is number two. Most people think she's out there, and i got to go find her. Uh, kind of like my house. Right? I'm going to find my way. Home. I'm going to find this, this woman. The problem is, when you go back to the grammar here, it's talking about, Lemuel's mother is talking about a wife. Now, think about this. Uh, if, she's, if a wife stumbles across your path and you, you, a chance encounter, she's already married to somebody else, so she's off limits. If she's, a known, she's already out there and this ideal woman already exists, you just got to go find her, she's still a wife to somebody else. So guess what? She's off limits. So it's got to be number three, and it is number three in the Hebrew. It's uh, something that hasn't yet been created. Gentlemen, you create an environment for this woman to emerge. Through planning and effort, gentlemen, you and I create an environment for this incredible woman to emerge. Now, is that, if that sounds daunting, it's challenging for sure. Um, I'm here, this is just a side, right? But it's fun because I got the pulpit today and I can. Uh, I, uh, this past week, we celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary, Megan and I. Uh, and we were apart this year for the first time. It's been a lot of years. Usually, we go someplace on our anniversary. Uh, But I was working and I was gone. And I got to thinking about being apart. on, you know, after 38 years. I've been married longer than I haven't been. A lot longer than I haven't been. And I was doing the research and the study to put this message together. And as I was reading the last 20 verses of this passage, I thought, I got one of these girls. I did. Now, this is not a pat me on the back because... I set up the right environment for her. This is really 90% her effort and 10% me just getting out of the way. You understand what I'm talking about? But part of the getting out of the way is those first two things, right? Don't be clicking around on the internet because even even if you think she doesn't know and she might not know, that's not the point. There's a spirit that comes out of you. There's a spirit that comes into the home if that's what you're doing with your eyes and your heart. You can't disguise that. She knows in her heart something's amiss. She might not be able to put her finger on it exactly, but trying to keep it hidden behind a closed door or a monitor that's turned around, that's not fooling anybody. The spirit is still in your home. This woman will not thrive, she won't emerge in that environment. So, gentlemen, we've got to be really careful about that. That's why it's so important for us to reach out and get some accountability and some help in these areas. So, honey, thank you. Right? Thanks for the hard work that you put in over all these years. I, I appreciate you. Now, back to the sermon. All right? all right. So, through planning and effort, this woman emerges. Let's take a look now at verses 11 through uh, 31. And I'm just going to read them. And guys, I'm going to ask you upstairs to start, just follow me along with the slides as, as we go as I'm reading. Verse eleven says this The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he hath no need of spoil. Gentlemen, look at all you're gonna get from this woman. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. I'll come back and talk about that in a minute. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. Hit the button one more time, guys. All right. She is like the merchants and ships. Um you know, keep going. There we go, all right? She's like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth Her arms—I guess that's a word. There it is, right there. Right. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. Uh, She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. Put a mark right there in verse twenty. We're going to come back and camp on that for a minute. Verse 21, she's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. Um, she maketh herself uh, coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when uh, he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchants. It's okay to giggle sometimes in church because the King James sets us up for that. All right, but the word girdles here is not what we typically think of. It's actually belts. And it had a connotation for animals, all right? And so she's a merchant selling things. Verse 25, Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in times to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Let's go back now to verse 11. And let me see if I can uh, can, uh, give me control back here. All right, there we go. So let's start in verse 11, right? Look at all, here's the, the whole long list of what this man gets if he follows these four imperatives that I've shared with you, all right? He doesn't look at that stuff on the internet. He doesn't follow those kind of women. He's not a drunk. He has, a, he reaches out and he's a voice for the needy and he helps create an environment for this woman to emerge. And the most important of all four of these is the one that Lemuel's mother devotes 21 verses to. It's the wife. But you can't create this ideal wife if you don't do the first nine verses. That's where the commentaries get off. When you skip and go right to verse 10, you miss the point. You miss the point. What does he get for his efforts? He gets a woman that he can trust, and he gets mutual respect. Oh, my word, that is so important, to have mutual respect. She respects him, and he respects and loves her, and there's trust in the relationship Once that bond of trust has been broken, it may take a lifetime to earn back. It's that important. There is goodness. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. In verse 12, ladies, young ladies, what does all mean in this verse? All the days after they get married? No, it means all. And gentlemen, I'm going to share something with you. You single guys that aren't married yet, listen to what I'm going to tell you. From the time she was this tall... From the time she could start to walk, she was planning on walking down the aisle. She's been thinking about that dress that she was going to wear. She's been picking out curtains, right? And I, I'm not saying that in a sarcastic way. I'm saying that in a, that's what little girls dream about. They dream about you. They're excited about that day and they're intent on doing you good and not evil all the days of their life. They were preparing to walk down that aisle with you. They keep themselves pure. Why? For you. For you. What are you doing in return, gentlemen? Purity is not a technicality, by the way. We treat that like it's a technicality in the Bible. It's not. We need to keep ourselves pure for one another. Why? Because it helps set the environment for this woman to emerge. And so she does that all the days of her life. Verse 13, there is diligence and there is teamwork in this home. She is a hard worker. She seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. She's like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. This woman is dependable and she has strength. And her strength is found in her virtue. And her virtue means her character. Throughout the Proverbs, whenever you see the word strength or dignity or virtue, it's almost always talking about this woman in this verse. It's the same word that's used in all of them. Uh, going on now in verses 15, she's active, she is others-oriented, and she is energetic. She rises also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household and portions to her maidens. Now, you might be here saying, well, I wish I had maidens. Well, I do too. (laughs) I wish we had servants in our house. We don't. The point is not that whether you have them or you don't have them, her focus is her household. Now, she does go sell stuff outside the house, but her focus is her household and she takes care of the needs of others even though she's the queen she could snap her fingers and say you take care of my needs that's not what the christian life is all about the christian life is the opposite of everything else in the world it's about being others oriented not what's in it for me and we get wrapped up in that what's in it for me thing sometimes we sit in church and we just evaluate right we come in with our evaluator caps on. Yeah, it was okay today. Yeah, It went a little bit long. Yeah, I said this a few too many times. Yeah. And we become evaluators. When you're doing that, you're coming here with what's in it for me. Our orientation ought to be what's in it for the other person. How can I be a blessing to somebody else? That's her orientation, and it's beautiful. All right, verse 16, she's smart, she's independent, she's trustworthy, and she's entrepreneurial it's okay he trusts in her it's not that he gives her a budget or she's got her money and he's got his money they're not separated that way it's their money but he trusts her with making decisions and she can do so independently and so in verse 16 she considereth a field and buyeth Uh, with the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard so she reinvests the stuff back in and she works hard with the money that she makes and the money that he makes it's okay And finally, in verse 17, she is virtuous, not manipulative. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She is uh, uh, not the type of a person who uh, uh, tries to manipulate her husband into coming around to her point of view. Anything she's got to say to him, she says to him directly. She's not trying to go through the back door on anything. All right, verse 18, self-respect, she's comfortable With how she looks. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good and her candle goeth not out by night. Many times, some commentaries talk about there's a sexual connotation to this. Uh, I'm not going to exclude that. What I am going to say is this Uh, she has confidence. She knows that what she's doing is good and right. Why? Because her husband's got her back. He's got her backed up, right? And they both trust in each other. And so her candle doesn't go out at night. She manages her day well so that she's got strength even into the evening. And that doesn't exclude the idea that she saves some energy for her husband at night. She plans that ahead of time. And that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. It shows the natural outworking of the intimacy that's always already there spiritually between the two of them. They're working together as a team, they mutually respect and trust one another, and that makes its way into the bedroom. That's a good thing. It doesn't work the other way around, by the way. It only works in one direction. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her uh, hands hold the distaff. She's skilled and she's accomplished. And then in verse 20, she ministers side by side with her husband. Now, I want to go back to verse, what was it, 8 and 9? Open thy mouth for the dumb and the cause of all such are appointed for destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. That was one of the four mandates that Lemuel's mother gave to him. That was the first positive one. She said, you need to have a ministry, Lemuel, that's going to stretch you, and it needs to be a ministry that where there's needs that actually get met. And guess what? Now in verse 20, they're doing this together. They're in ministry together. I can't tell you how important that is. It, it will bring fruit to your relationship. It will put you both on the same side. You're not working against each other. You're working with each other to further the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's hugely important to the health of a relationship. So having said that, uh, let me talk about what that isn't. Well, Steve, my husband teaches Sunday school class, and I go attend his Sunday school class. That's not ministering together. That's coming along and attending the Sunday school class. That's fine. What is your ministry, and is it stretching to you? Does it challenge you together as a couple? Now, Megan and I started our own ministry years ago. I'm not saying that you have to go out and start a ministry from scratch. That's not what I'm getting at. But having had done that years ago, it was the best thing we ever did for our marriage. It keeps both of us focused, not on you know picking at one another all day long, but looking at the needs of others that, that have real needs that we can meet, and we're working together side by side as a team to meet those needs. There's something really healthy about that, and good for both of us, and good for the family. So having said that, I'm going to encourage you to find a ministry where the two of you can work together. And if neither one of you are in ministry, then you really got to have that conversation. So, Ministry Opportunities for Couples of Friendship. Right? I talked to Pastor about this this week. And I said, Pastor, I'm going to kind of camp on this a little bit on Sunday. And I said, will you please send me a list of places that you think couples could get plugged in at, Corner, or at uh, Friendship? And he said, absolutely. And I got it within about an hour. <laughs> okay? And here's what your pastor said. The First Impressions Ministry, greeters at the door. That's a great place for couples to take ownership and greet people that are coming through the door. Is it real hard to do? Nope. It's easy. That might be the entry-level one, right? Encouragers, visiting people who are shut in. That's going to mean getting in a car and, and going to somebody's house and, and spending some time with them and seeing if you can bring them anything and checking in with them during the week. But you can do that together as a couple, and that's really important that you do, do that, right? And, but those people are going to begin to depend on you, so that's, that's a kind of a higher level of ministry, but it's challenging and good for you. Um, children's church, right? There's a rotation in children's church, so you're not there more than once a month. You're not missing service after service. And so we we kind of spread the wealth. But the fewer people we have, the fewer ways we can spread the wealth. Okay? So there you go. Uh, Discipling of other couples. Megan and I taught equipped a Disciple. And about 60 people went through that. We're going to teach that again. Uh, Again, there's couples that want to be and need to be discipled in this church. Youth leaders, see Chris for that. Chris, you didn't know you were going to get an assignment today, did you? All right. Pastor said, have him see Chris for that. And there are more. All you need to do is ask. And I think you need to ask, because if your marriage is in any sort of trouble, or you've just kind of hit a dead spot, and you're like, I don't know, it's just not fun like it used to be anymore, maybe it's because you're not ministering together. And Pastor allowed me to have the privilege to spend 90 seconds talking about this. Now, Megan and I have a ministry. It's a national ministry. We travel all around the country, really all around the world. uh, And we've made um, uh, discipleship materials for, for marriages, for parenting, for youth discipleship for leadership training uh here's what we need in our ministry and you might be a couple and you say hey what i'm i'm good at this and i could help you guys we have an urgent need for a couple or an individual uh to head up our marketing and social media outreach i'm awful at that i don't know how to do it and so we got all the stuff that sits out there that could be in people's homes helping them and it just sits in our warehouse and so I need somebody to help us get out there, basically kind of market, and sell this stuff to get it to, into the hands of people who need it. If you're good at that, I want to talk to you. And better yet that you're a couple that want to do that together, I would love to have you come on board. This is a ministry that's no pay involved in this. If, over time, you're really successful at what you do, that actually could turn into a paying job. But right now, it's a ministry, all right? So come and see us afterwards if you've got anything there. All right, verses 21, back to the scripture. All right, courageous and thoughtful she is. She's considerate and generous. Verse 23, she's encouraging and self-controlled. Verse 24, she's focused and productive. Uh, in verse 25, she's secure because of her virtue and gentlemen, That's the most important quality that your wife needs to have. She needs to feel secure in her relationship with you and in herself. She's wise and kind. She finds her worth at home in verse 27. she says, It says, She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. So one more time, let me say, she does do things outside the home, but that's not where her worth is found. She does those things so she can bring money back into the coffers, and she can take care of her maids, and she can take care of her household, and she can buy them scarlet clothing. She can get nice things for the people under her own roof. That's where her worth is is going to be found. Verse 28, her children rise up and they call her blessed. And there's nothing more rewarding than that moment where your adult children rise up and call you blessed. She is praiseworthy, not child-centered. If you have taught your children that the world revolves around them and their needs are the most important thing in this universe, they will never rise up and call you blessed. Stop being child-centered in the way you focus on your children. Verse 29, she's known for her character. Verse 30, she's deep, she's spiritual. And here's the key. She loves God more than she loves anything else on this earth. And so young guys, you guys that are yet to have found this woman, but you're still looking, let me give you the key to success here. There are two things you need to remember right now. So single men, perk up and listen to what I'm going to tell you right now. Number one is, you need to be the man who loves Jesus more than he loves anything else on this earth. More than you love yourself. More than you love your future wife. You need to love Jesus more than you love her. And you need to find the raw material, a young gal that loves Jesus more than she loves you. As soon as you stumble across that girl, or you go out and you find her, and she loves Jesus more than she loves you, don't walk, run to get a ring, put it on that finger, and get down this aisle. That's the one. But she's got to look a certain way and have these skills and these... No, 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 no. She needs to love Jesus more than she loves you. Why? Because verse 30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Right? Guys, look at me. Right? I didn't always look like the keeper. All right? I used to be young. There was hair on this head. There was other things, you know, I, I felt good. I looked young. I, that goes away. You know that. It goes away. But the stuff in here, it just gets better. That's the stuff you need to look at ahead of time. And then finally in verse 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Gentlemen, at the end of the day, when you this woman emerges, don't take credit for it. Lemuel doesn't. Nemuel steps aside and says, and here she is. And she did this work on her own. I just needed to get out of the way. He knew the things that he needed not to do, and he needed to start a ministry and work side by side with her. But when he did those three things, this woman had an environment where she could emerge, and she did. And he's excited about her. And he ought to be. So finally, the challenge this morning is this. Gentlemen, what are you doing to find this woman? What are you doing to find this woman? There may be many things that you're doing to not find this woman. Those things need to end today. Come and reach out. Grab me by the sleeve today and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you a little bit. I'll know what you want to do. We'll go aside and we'll talk about next steps, all right? You know what I'm talking about, guys? Just reach out for help. You won't be judged. You're not going to be condemned by me or any of the rest of us in this church. Just come and grab my sleeve. Grab Brent's sleeve. Grab Ed's sleeve and say, hey, I, I need to talk to you about something, all right? So, what are you doing to find this woman? Ladies, you're not off the hook either. You're thinking, hey, I love that version of Proverbs 31. That was pretty good, right? It's in the scriptures, it's there for all of us for all eternity. So, ladies, what's the challenge to us? Do you want to be found? I can't tell you how many ladies in my church over the years would come up and they'd say, Pastor, just pray for my husband. He doesn't come to church with us. He doesn't know the Lord. I just need him to get saved and come to church and be a godly man. And we'd pray for that guy and we'd go to visit him and we'd share the gospel with him and he'd get saved and he'd come out to church and he'd start to go to Bible study and he'd start to grow and he'd start to lead in his home. And guess what? She wasn't too happy about all that because she didn't really want all of that. She didn't really want to be found. She kind of liked the way things were. But when he started to lead, there was friction in the house. So ladies, you have to want to be found. If you've got a husband that is a good man, he's not clicking around where he shouldn't. He's not a drunk. He's trying to get you involved in ministry with him. What are you fighting that for? Allow yourself to be found. Don't be that fiercely independent, you know, 21st century woman. Be somebody who can be a teammate that guy that God brought you. And finally, couples. And here's the challenge. When and where will you minister together? I'm going to encourage you when you get in the car today and drive home to have a conversation about whether you, if you're ministering together, great. How are you going to continue to do that? If one of you is ministering and the other isn't, or you've got separate ministries, how do you bring those ministries together? Or how do you Find a ministry where you both work together. And if neither one of you are involved in ministry, have the conversation about what are the next steps that we need to do to find a ministry that we can do together. What would be comfortable for us to do together? And then reach out to the leadership of this church, and they will help you get plugged in with a big smile on their face. Folks, I hope this has been a good treatment of Proverbs 31. It's certainly different. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have of coming to your word today and being challenged by the fullness of it in its context. And Lord, I, I, again, I don't want to say anything about the Proverbs 31 ministries that are out there. They do really great work. But at the same time, Lord, it's a challenge to us as men to set an environment where this woman can emerge. And if we're having struggles and we're not happy with uh, where we are right now in our marriages, maybe we need to take a real hard look at these four imperatives that you've laid before us today and struggle and wrestle with you on a personal level with our God about where we need to make changes and set an environment for this woman to emerge. You brought us a wonderful gal, and she is ready to emerge and be this woman. But guys, we've got to lead.